Well, I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas and the end of year and New Year and all those things. Wondering how, how did it go for you? How was it this year? And really, as a lot of people, you might be thinking this, well, how was your whole year? What was 2019 like for you? It's kind of hard to resist the temptation to do a little bit of review and as the new year comes and, you know, and you see, uh, you're reading all around, people make their list of, you know, the top 10 movies of 2019 or the top 20 books they read or the top 10 biggest news events of the year. We have all these ways at the end of the year of kind of reviewing and looking back. And it's kind of natural to compare things and to compare the year to maybe years past. I was thinking this year when I was younger, I didn't really compare one year to another because every year was totally different, right? When you're in school, you move up a year and everything is different. It doesn't make a lot of sense to compare, but as you get a little bit older, then you start comparing. Well, how is 2019 compared to 2018? And how is it compared to 2017? And you start thinking about, oh, how was it? What was my year like? And it's kind of tempting to maybe even rate the years and, and say, yeah, this was a better year than last, or maybe this was a worse year than last. The Gospel of Matthew today tells us about a very important year as it uh, recounts in fact, it's a year that a lot of people around the world kind of base their whole calendars. The idea was to put zero at the year that Jesus was born, right? It's a pretty important year when Jesus was born. And then what happened after that? And the Gospel of Matthew begins, we didn't read this part today, and you might be glad, because it begins with a genealogy of really the beginning of Jesus, how it went from Abraham, of the patriarchs, all the way down to Jesus. And we could have read, but we didn't. But in the first chapter of Matthew, you know, to Abraham, uh, had this person, this person, and this person, and it recounts everyone who was the father of everyone all the way down some 39 generations to get to Jesus. That's a different kind of list than, you know, we're reading a lot of top 10 lists this type of year, but Matthew gives us a different kind of list, a genealogy, to help show the continuity all the way from Abraham to Jesus. But if you read that list, there's some weird things going on with it. For one, it's a list of all the fathers all the way down, and that's how in that society the generations were recounted by father. This father had this son who had this son who had this son all the way down. But Matthew includes several women in the genealogy just to, to mention some of the mothers, even though it wasn't strictly required, for some reason, Four times, Matthew inserts the name of a woman who is part of this genealogy. And why just four, and why just sometimes does Matthew do it? And then, 
If you look at the four that Matthew lists, they all have some kind of scandal attached to them. Matthew lists Rahab, who was a prostitute. And Matthew lists Ruth, who was kind of a foreigner into this genealogy. Matthew, you can, you can look at them. You can look at the story of uh, Tamar, which includes prostitution, incest, rape. You could look at it all up, the whole thing. And these are the women that Matthew decides to list in this genealogy, which if you were making a list and you're trying to build the case for the Messiah, which Matthew is doing, you might think, why would Matthew be highlighting the scandalous parts of it? And then when you get to the end of the genealogy, all the way from Abraham down through some 30, 40 generations that Matthew tracks meticulously, he gets to the very, very end to Joseph and then says, but Joseph wasn't the father of Jesus. Jesus was born of Mary. It's kind of remarkable that Matthew builds this list of like 39 links in the chain only to get to the very end and not connect it to say actually Jesus was born of Mary, not Joseph, Mary and the Holy Spirit. Why would Matthew build this whole genealogy just to kind of blow it up at the end and say that it didn't connect all the way through? Why would Matthew build a case for the Messiah using this genealogy only to highlight the cracks in it along the way, the problems with it? Matthew doesn't just listen. He seems to highlight the problems along the way, like daring the people reading it to say, wait a minute, something is wrong with this. And that thread really gets continued as we get to the story today of the Magi. These foreigners, these outsiders who come from the East because they have seen a sign of the birth of the Messiah. Meanwhile, Matthew tells us that all the people around Jerusalem, where you would expect the Messiah to be born, where people were supposedly waiting for the Messiah to be born and looking for signs, they all missed it. Matthew tells us not only were they not aware the Messiah was born, but when they found out, when these foreigners came and said that the Messiah has been born, we've tracked the star, they all became afraid. Again, Matthew is like highlighting the cracks in the story the problems, the scandal along the way. You think, why would Matthew do that? Well, if you are in charge of something, and if you are creating something and you are responsible for it, when cracks start to appear, when problems come up, they are threatening, aren't they? This is probably why Herod felt so threatened when these outsiders showed up and said, hey, 
we know about a Messiah and you don't. When you're in charge of something, the cracks are something like to be hidden. There's something to be covered over. The cracks are threatening. But imagine instead that you are trapped, that you are walking in darkness. The reading from Isaiah says the world will be covered in darkness. And imagine that you are in darkness. The cracks are not something to be afraid of. The cracks are how the light comes in. The cracks are not threatening and scary. The cracks allow to see through to something new, to something different, to light that is to come. Maybe the cracks in this story and many other stories that Matthew shares with us are there to help us see God shining through. That the story of the Messiah is not primarily a story about how we did it, but a story about how God breaks through into our lives. We have this reading from the prophet Isaiah, Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you and the glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. The prophet Isaiah is giving this prophecy to the people of Israel at a time when they felt most broken. They felt there were so many cracks that maybe there was nothing left. It was a time where Jerusalem had been destroyed, a conquering army had taken over, and it seemed like the dream of God for the people of Israel was gone. And it's at this time that these words, which now to us sound so hopeful and so beautiful, were prophesied, arise, shine, for your light has come. Isaiah must have also known that the cracks, the holes, the brokenness, this is the exact way that God's light shines into the world. I've been thinking about these cracks and brokenness as I was reflecting on Christmas Eve and our worship here and all the preparations that go into Christmas Eve and all the wonderful things that we try and do together to make it a night that is memorable, to make it a night that is hospitable, to make it a night of light shining in the darkness. And there is a lot of important things that we do for Christmas Eve, right? And there are a lot of important ways that we try as a congregation. And I know I certainly was feeling responsibility to do things really well because you want to have a nice service, right? And there are many people there that maybe don't normally come to church, and so you want to have good music, and you want to have the beautiful candlelight and 
the readings and all the things that make Christmas Eve special, that you remember back and say, that was a great Christmas Eve. And so I was pretty focused on making sure that we did the best that we could in doing a Christmas Eve service. And that is a good thing to do, but there is a danger, which I fall for every year, which is starting to think that Christmas Eve is really about what we do and especially how well we do it. Because inevitably there are cracks, right? I forget this, or this goes wrong, or this light goes out, or whatever, and the temptation is to cover up those cracks as fast as you can, to hide them over, to try to plug them up with whatever you can, because you want everything to be perfect. And that's dangerous. It's dangerous any time that we start thinking about how we are doing the God thing, about how, how well we do something makes it how holy it is. And I think at Christmas, I invested so much energy in filling the cracks and hiding the brokenness that I missed some of the light that was shining through those things. And I looked around at the Christmas Eve service and kind of as then it's going and then it's unstoppable, right? Once the service starts, it's just going. And when I looked around, I saw there were people there who were working through injuries and recent things that had happened to them. And there were people there who were missing loved ones, people who should be there and weren't. There were people who I knew were navigating difficult situations in their lives and they were there. Anytime you get a bunch of people together, you get a bunch of brokenness. You get cracks. You get these things. But gathered here are a bunch of people who are living with those cracks, living with that brokenness. Now, of course, it is important for us to sing Silent Night and to have candlelights, and of course, we'll do those things. But make no mistake, God is not here to just appreciate our really fine worship. God is here to work in the brokenness, to shine through the cracks in our lives. That's really what Christmas is all about. As we look out <clears throat> into the world, it can look pretty cracked too, can't it? I mean, we're just a few days into 2020, and there's already, you know, you see images of, seems like all of Australia burning and rumors of war. Terrible things are happening around us, and it is easy to look out into the world and to see those cracks and to see that brokenness and just want to retreat from it, to just want to avoid it, to lock it out, to lock the doors in your house, in your car, lock it all out. There's a real temptation, I feel it, to say, yeah, but that stuff is not my problem, right? I just want that stuff away. We just, everyone, every man for himself, right? And to say, well, you know, bad things happen, but 
well, they should have been more responsible, but that's not my problem. To try to hide from the cracks in the world, to cover over them, to plug them up. But for us to arise and shine, like the prophet calls us to do as the people of God, we can't put the broken parts away from us. We can't put it behind us. We have to move towards the cracks, to move towards the brokenness and let those places be filled with light. Now here's the good news. We don't have to wait to be perfect. In fact, we don't even have to wait to be good for God to shine through us, to use us. Because it's in those cracks, it's in that brokenness that God fills us with light and fills the world with light. It's just how God does it. It's what the prophets want to tell us. It's what Matthew's wild story with all its cracks and blemishes is trying to show us, that it's there where the light comes through, not in our perfection, but through our brokenness. Now, this light shining through us, it doesn't mean that we don't have any work to do, that we just let God do everything. And it certainly doesn't mean that we should start bragging about how cracked we are or even compete about, oh, I'm more broken than you. What it means is that God is going to do new things through us, incredible things, now that we don't have to hide our brokenness, now that we don't have to hide the cracks that are in all of our lives. Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Brokenness is all around you, yes, but it's through the brokenness that God's light will shine. It's through your brokenness that God's light will fill the world. Nations shall come to the light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Amen.